It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is Eric Ludi. When we construct our new studio, we have been dishing out some throwback series from the earlier days of Daily Thunder. This particular series, entitled The Ingredients of Intimacy, was originally aired back in October of 2019 when Ellerslie hosted a powerful five-week advanced discipleship training here on our campus. The theme of that training was pursuing devotional excellence with Christ. We kicked off that five weeks with this five-part series. I hope you will be blessed by this meditation. Guys, I'm excited as we sort of dig into this uh, series. Uh, we did a message on time yesterday, and uh, today is study. Uh, very boring names for Eric Ludi, but I, I sort of like the simplicity in this little series uh, because these are the ingredients of intimacy, and intimacy with God, and also intimacy with uh, a spouse in marriage, the same exact elements create and cultivate that intimacy. And spiritual intimacy with God is a supernatural work. It is not something that we uh, author. It is something that he authors. He's the one that is the initiator. Just like in a good love story, it's the man that uh, initiates. He's the one that asks the girl to dance. He's the one that proposes. He's the initiator. And so in our love story with the King of Kings, he's the initiator. He's the one that has chosen us. He's the one that has pursued us. He's the one that has won us. And uh, yet, as a reciprocation, a, we, we typically will use the term responsibility, uh, but if you take that word responsibility and you take its two parts, response and ability, and flip them around, you have the ability to respond. And what God has given us in his creation is, uh, is the ability to respond to him. He designed us that way. And so uh, though we can give all the credit to God as being the initiator and being the one who even gives us the ability to respond, he gives us the ability to respond. And so we have a responsibility in this, <laughs> an ability to respond. Uh, and so uh, that's what we do. And that's what the, these ingredients of intimacy are. We have the ability to choose how we use our time. And so... How will you choose our, to use our time affects our intimacy with God. We have the decision to choose to study uh, in this case. Now, the word study, I have to admit, sounds very academic, but it's attentiveness. You know, if you were to, uh, you, you ever heard of an attendant or someone is attending uh, to someone like a waiter in a restaurant or a waitress in a restaurant, what you're doing, like in one of those nice restaurants, you're not supposed to bother uh, the people as they're sitting there eating and they're in their conversation, but you linger in the shadows with your water pitcher. And when you see it getting low or you see a, a plate that's done, you sort of sneak in and take it. Well, what are you doing? You're studying, actually. is what you're, you're observing the circumstance and seeing how you can be of service. And in a strange way, it's, it's odd to take that illustration and apply it to how you handle Scripture, but there's a truth there. In other words, what you are doing is you are attentive to the scriptures. You are attentive to your God. You are studying his movements. Like one of the things that I would say is I have monitored and watched how God has worked in my life. And so I've journaled for years of my life. And I would encourage you, as far as the cultivation of intimacy, journaling is one of the number one things that I have done throughout my spiritual journey that has cultivated it. And here's why. It has 
taught me to observe how God is working. So I'm always writing down what I'm seeing God doing. So then when I review these things, I always put like a little pile of stones on the very significant days. So I'll just write, you know, just draw. Now I have a little digital thing that I go cut and paste or copy and paste this little digital pile of stones. So when I scroll through my journal, I actually see the days that I'm saying, Eric, you don't want to forget this. And what I see over time is pattern of the nature of God, the way that God works with men. And so oftentimes you'll hear me say something like classic God. That's just God. You know, that's how he works. So like if you're in a, t I'm discussing with you, and you're like, here's what's happening in my life. Oh, classic God. I could also say classic devil. In other words, there's certain things that the devil's always doing. It's like, I just feel like I'm always under, you know, condemnation. It's like, mm-hmm, classic devil. He's the accuser. And so there's certain things that we can recognize from the word. And then just from living life uh, with Jesus, we become familiar. It's like knowing your mom's voice. You know, the text of scripture could describe your mom's voice. You know, it's high pitched and, you know, uh, you know this way, warm and loving around the edges. You know, but until you hear it, until you interact with that voice, you don't become familiar with it. And so much of truth is that way. You could know it in text, but you need to know it in experience, you need to work with that. And then suddenly you know your mom's voice. Why? Because of repetition, 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 repetition of hearing it. Now you know it better than any other noise uh, on earth. So study the ingredient. In, this is the series called Ingredients of Intimacy. So before you start in your studying, this you must remember. This is a key one, guys. So if you're going to approach God, and the best way to study God, because when we hear the word study, we immediately think of the word of God and studying the word. We need to become students of the word of God, which is true. Uh, however, the way that we study, we need to recognize what it's for, what it's about, why we're doing it. Because many of us get caught in an academic mentality when it comes to the text of Scripture which there is an academic dimension to it. You really do need to know the scope. You need to know the layout. You need to know why it's put together the way it is. There's certain things we could call core fundamental academic truths and principles about the text of Scripture that are going to be important for you. But so that you may know him. The, the scriptures are, are set in place that you would know Jesus Christ, that you would encounter your Savior, that you would fall in love with him, that you would believe in him, that you would see his faithfulness revealed, his redemptive plan revealed, and then you would stick your life uh, in confidence in his hands, and that you would ever grow to know him more, and that you would crave to know him more with every passing day. You see, that's different than the way you probably approach math. When you're approaching math, you just want to get your academic assignment done. So you go through the assignment for the day or the chapter for the day. You get the learning. You get the lesson. Then you apply it. And then you exercise it. And then you just hope to never see that assignment again. And with God, it is very different. The more you spend time with him, the more you actually want to spend time with him, which is very different than math equations. And so as a result, there is a desire, an ever-growing desire for more of him as you properly approach him. The Spirit of God is the one that leads the process and then caters and, and cultivates even a greater hunger for more. And so the idea behind studying God, if you want to say it that way, is very different than just studying typical uh, lessons in school. So this you must remember. 
So here's D.L. Moody quote, the key to the whole Bible is Jesus Christ. Now we could have put any of our names under that quote. That is uh, something that we all know around here, but we might as well throw a big name in there just so it feels more, uh, more truthful this morning, right? Uh, than if we just said E.L. Ludi or E.W. Ludi. my middle name's not L. Uh, E.W. E. Ludi. In fact, uh, he has Moody Bible Institute. We're, we're sort of like Ludi Bible Institute here, so. <laughs> Uh, but the key to the whole Bible is Jesus Christ. It's the key that unlocks the text of Scripture. And so if you want to understand this book, you need to recognize that it is all about a person. So this sounds uh, like we're in review right now. This is what we all know, we all understand. He is the key. So the big word is hermeneutics, which is the tools for how we rightly divide the Scriptures. It's how we are going to approach textual study which just sounds very high-minded, right? And so the word, a word like hermeneutics puts many of us uh, into a position of feeling insecure uh, when we come to the text of Scripture because we don't even know what the word hermeneutics means, let, let alone what that text in, uh, in the Old Testament would mean. It's like, whoa, this is intimidating stuff. The one who carried along the writers to write that Scripture lives in you. You need to know that, and his desire is not just to increase your IQ, it's to increase your knowing, your understanding of Jesus Christ. He desires to show you Jesus. So he gives you Jesus as the key tool. He says, now I want you to use that. I want you to recognize that everything you are going after in every text is more understanding of him. And as you approach the scriptures that way, the Holy Spirit opens up the scriptures for you to see them, to see Jesus. So it's the discovery of a person. That is what biblical study would be. So when we are cultivating our life with Christ, we are learning to study from multiple dimensions. For instance, I'm learning to study him. Well, how do I study him? By studying his word, by studying his movements in my life, by studying the circumstances in my life and the, the things that just happened that day, like that conversation uh, that I just had with someone. Or how about someone comes up to me and says, Eric, I just feel that I need to share something with you. So what am I doing? I'm observing what God is doing. I'm expectant that God will do something, and then when he does something, I'm aware of it. I'm a student of the movements of God, okay? Not just in the text, but in my life. Now, there's more than that. If I'm going to have an intimate walk with God, it's not just that I'm a student of what God is doing, I'm a student of others. And I'm noticing the needs in others. Why? Because the Spirit of God is a student of others. So if he lives inside of me, he's going to show me needs or different points where someone might uh, need encouragement or assistance or help. And as a result, as I stay attuned and I don't just focus and become a student of my own soul, my own wants, my own desires, but I'm a student of him and of others, it actually cultivates my intimacy with him. It's an amazing thing, but when you become a student of someone else that God loves, and you agree with the Holy Spirit on that, it actually draws you closer to him. I know that sounds strange, but many of us, it sounds strange when we think of drawing close to a God we cannot see. So one of the ways that we actually draw close to a God we cannot see is by seeing those that God has seen in this world. This, we see real people and we love them, and we care for them, and we're kind for them, and we do things for them, we give to them, we sacrifice for them, and it's amazing, but what we do unto others, what we do unto the least of these, or what we do unto the body of Christ, we're doing it unto him. 
And so as a result, it's like cultivating a connectivity at a deeper level between us and our God. So biblical study, just the living of the Christian life, it's the discovery of a person. To study is to affectionately pursue a greater knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. So what does the Apostle Paul say in Philippians 3.10? That I may know him. So there is a great enunciation of the entirety of the idea of study. What are you attending to God for, attending to his word, attending to his Holy Spirit, attending to the body of Christ for? That I may know him. It's the great desire of the Christian soul. It's the great desire of the Holy Spirit within you. And so when you come into agreement with that desire, well, intimacy begins to explode. That sense of closeness and confidence and trust in the living God increases. So another quote from D.L. Moody. I know you guys enjoyed the first quote from D.L. Moody, so we'll whip out another one. Do not expect ever to exhaust the full meaning of Scripture. A supernatural God must have a supernatural book. Finite minds cannot grasp the infinite. That is one reason why men who know the Bible best find it ever new. I don't know even how to describe the Bible compared to like Homer's Iliad. Okay, they're both books, right? They're both thick books, but they're very different. You see, one is supernatural, the other is human. And a supernatural book is a rare finding on this earth. It's called the Bible. And it is actually a book that is designed and built by God Almighty to reveal himself to us. He didn't need to reveal himself. He could have just kept himself hidden, but he desires to be known. And so when you recognize that the God of the universe desires to be known and has gone out of his way to make himself known, that should get you excited. That means if you seek him, you will find him. And so for our message today, we could say, if you study him, you will know him. If you study him, if you observe him, if you affectionately pursue him, he will be found. He is not attempting to hide in dark shadow from you. He desires to be found. And so this book, known as the Bible, or the Bible itself doesn't call itself the Bible, it's scripture, uh, is the way the, the Bible would call itself. That's, that's its name for itself. But I remember trying to describe this to myself. You see, when you read through the Bible, uh, say, say we just start in Genesis and we just read through it as quickly as we could. and We, we had a race to the finish, right? So uh, whoever gets to the end of Revelation first wins. Well, all of us could do that and we would get nuggets of truth. There would be some profound moments where God's speaking to us in and through that quick read. And say it's the first time you've ever read it, you're gonna get some gold nuggets from it. You're going to see a storyline that is taking place and it's gonna be fascinating to you. You're going to be introduced to a people that God set apart and out of that people is gonna come forth the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ and he is going to suffer and die on your behalf and rise again on the third day. You're gonna catch this, okay? And you're also gonna catch the fact that then this church is born out of it and this church is going to do exploits. But Jesus gives promises to this church and says that he is going to come again just as he exited to, to go to the heavenlies and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come again in the clouds. And so there's an anticipation. You'd know the storyline and you get the basic gist of it, right? 
and you would be moved. I mean, you could end up being changed and give your life to Christ just by a cursory overview. Now you take that same thing, you read it through again. Same book. And you're going to see something that you didn't see the first time. It's like, didn't I read this? Oh, you read it. Well, why does it feel like I've never read this before? Why does it feel like this is new to me? Like, I didn't even see that. Okay, so say we read it a third time. Okay, you guys know where this is going, right? You could read it a 400th time, and it's incredible. But you're going to see things that you've never seen before. Now I want to zoom in on one scripture. You memorize the scripture when you're five. Uh, someone brings it up when you're seven. You go, I know that scripture, and you even repeat it to them. And then you're in a Sunday school class uh, when you're nine, and they study that scripture, and they're teaching you how to study the Bible, and guess what you're thinking? I know that scripture. But then as you're studying it when you're nine, you find out so many things about it you had no idea about. You didn't know who it was originally written to. You didn't understand the, the, the background of that scripture. You didn't understand that side of it. So now you're 11, and uh, you're learning to study, and maybe you're in some kind of you know, summer camp, and they bring up that scripture, and it feels like you've never heard it before when that man is giving a lesson, and he teaches on that scripture, and whoa, it's, it's sort of like it's brand new to you. Well, now let's skip forward 50 years, and you've gone over that scripture who knows how many times, how many times you've heard it preached on, how many times have, maybe you've even preached on it, you've written a book on it, and yet here you are studying it when you're, how old are you, 62? Uh, how, how old did I just make you? You were 11, and then I added 50 years, so you're uh, 61. You're 61 years old, and you have some gray hair, I'm sorry to say it, but you know, you're aging fast, uh, and you sit down with that same scripture, and uh, how, do, how do we explain this? There's more in it. That one scripture is like bottomless. It is an endless frontier in and of itself, and it's just one scripture, let alone the entirety of the Bible. So let me read this, uh, this quote again from D.L. Moody. Do not expect ever to exhaust the full meaning of scripture. A supernatural God must have a supernatural book. Finite minds cannot grasp the infinite. That is one reason why men who know the Bible best find it ever new. Talmadge said this, as the smallest dewdrop on the meadow at night has a star sleeping in its bosom, so the most insignificant passage of scripture has in it a shining truth. Isn't that just a great statement? Even the smallest dewdrop can have in its bosom a star sleeping. Isn't that a great statement? So even the most insignificant, or what you think is insignificant, scripture in the Bible, like why would God say that? What good is that? Everything is on purpose in the Bible. Every word is measured. You know, as it says at the end of the Gospel of John, that if all that Jesus did was written down, the world could not even contain the books. It seems like such a hyperbole, doesn't it? It sounds like such an extreme statement. And yet what we see is that God has purposely limited himself in the Gospels. He has purposely not said things, because that's the final Gospel that is written, right? So in other words, it's saying, this is what you need to know. You don't need to know anymore. There's a lot more that Jesus did, but that's not of importance to you right now. God has given his revelation to you so you could see it. What does that say about what is written? Especially when what is written is repeated four times in four Gospels. That should cause it to rise to such a level of intensity, highlighter pen material. Like God has highlighted it, then he's underlining it, then he's adding exclamation marks. You know how like, well, when we send our texts and we have emojis, like seven emojis after something, and we're making a statement. That's what God is doing. He has like a whole page of emojis uh, on there. 
And so we see that God is highlighting certain things. And when he doesn't say something, take note. Even the things God doesn't say matters. So for instance, like I'm all intrigued by the cherubim, right? And so I'm reading Ezekiel and I'm fascinated about these four-winged creatures that have feet of a hind and they have four faces. And I find out that Lucifer is a cherub, right? So it's like, oh, this is, this is interesting. And so I want to know about it. And we get to the book of Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is going through and unpacking all these mysteries of the tabernacle and the temple and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of Covenant and all these things and who Melchizedek is. I mean, there's all sorts of mysteries that are being unveiled. And then he gets to the cherubims of which we cannot now speak particularly. It's like, what? Wait a minute. What? And, and you can just sort of see God winking and going, no, there'll come a day when you can know it. Right now, it'd be a distraction for you. I know you, Eric, and if I were to go into that, you'd make a whole doctrine over here about cherubim. <laughs> so as a result, he is going to restrain himself and us and say that's not necessary. What you need for life and godliness has been given you. What you need has been given. So as a result, you can treat the scriptures as sufficient. Everything that you need is there. You don't need anything else. Technically, right there is, is everything you need. Uh, everything God wanted you to know. Charles Spurgeon said this, the flowers of God's garden bloom not only double, but sevenfold. They are continually pouring forth fresh fragrance. So there's scripture for you right there. The that's the flowers of God's garden, and they bloom. Every time you come to the flowers in God's garden as you're reading through scripture, it's like, whoa, they're blooming again. But they don't just bloom once, they bloom and not only double, but sevenfold. In other words, they just keep blooming. They are continually pouring forth fresh fragrance. George Mueller says, I have read the Bible through a hundred times in order, and every time with increasing joy. Whenever I have started afresh, it seemed like a new book to me. What an amazing statement. Not many of us can make that statement. But there is a statement from someone who's been there. And they've read it through a hundred times in order. And every time, it seemed like a new book. It's an amazing statement. Oh, another D.L. Moody quote. I know you guys have enjoyed those other two, so we have a third one in here. I thank God there is in God's word a height I have never been able to reach, a depth I have never been able to fathom, a length and a breadth I know nothing about, it makes the book all the more fascinating and proves it divine. Oh, what a great statement. There is never an end to the discovery. So I was writing a novel oh, quite a while ago, and I ended up parking it, and I never uh, moved it forward. That's a whole story in and of itself. But I spent four years on this thing, and it's like, it's really thick, and it's really, it was really good. I mean, it's a very fascinating story. And... In the process, I purposely, as the author, I was working with another man on it, uh, and what we did in the formation of it is we created layers so that when someone reads it, they would see layer one, and that's what would be obvious, but if they ever read it again, they would see that all these things were purposeful, and this was like planted in there, like we were hiding nuggets throughout. And so, I don't know what we had, it was like three or four layers to the story, I and mean, it was really complex if you were to look at it from that way, or you could just read the story. But then if you actually wanted to, you could dig into it and find all this gold, right? 
And so just think about that. That's a human approaching a book. And I hid, you know, with, with this other man, we hid like, you know, three or four layers of sparkle and dazzle and mystery. We had an, a whole, a whole uh, appendix to it. It's like this little word, you could look up uh, what it meant and go into a whole study of even Christian history. It was very fascinating, right? Uh, now that's a human. What does God do when he puts together the word of God? I mean, think about this. In the earthen crust which he has created, he has layers and there are jewels in there. There's gold in the earth. He hid it there. Just, just ponder the many layers of the earth and how God even forms diamond. So he layers in these things, creates this pressure in the earth and forms beauty in a place that we would never expect to find it. But if you dig for it, if you search for it, you find something that those that don't search and just stay at the, at the top layer will never find. Isn't that amazing? Just in his very creation, he does this. And so when you drill, I mean, think about this, these, this fuel and the oils uh, and all of that. When you have to, you search for it. I mean, these guys will go over and spend hundreds of millions of dollars trying to find oil. And this is, you know, with the area you guys have just come to is one of the number one oil producing areas in the world right now, right here. Uh, and so we, we know it. Frackers are all over the place trying to find this stuff. And, well, that's the way we should be with the word of God. We should be seeking. We know it's there. And so we should be going after it. If you knew that there was oil all around and you had access to it and you had the equipment to go after it, what would you do? You'd go after it. Well, you have all the equipment to go after the gold of God's word. Uh, the black gold, that's, that's what oil is called. Black gold of God's word. In other words, go after it. Go after this incredible life. There is never an end to the discovery. So the attitude behind the study, what's funny is when we go into, for those of you that are going to be in the, in the advanced training, I know for those of you that are getting this via stream and via podcast, I'm just going to have to whet your appetites. You have to come to the advanced. That's, that's, that's why we have to, you know, throw out these carrots and then, uh, but I, I'm actually going to go into the endless frontier this morning. It, it, I love that uh, topic and I love that study. But it's the attitude behind it. In other words, that no matter how far you go, there's more to discover. And uh, that we don't, we cannot be satisfied with all that we've found so far. Now, we're, we're content in the fact that God has given us everything we need for right now in our life, but we wake up afresh today with his mercies new today, and we say, God, I want more of you. In other words, it's, I'm going to give you a word, a holy discontent. There's a bad form of discontentment, and there's a good form of discontentment. The good form of discontentment is, God, there's more of you to be found, and I do not want to be sitting on my thumbs today and miss it. That's actually a good form of discontent. If you knew that you could grow in greater relationship with your wife and your children, uh, if you knew that you could grow in greater relationship with your God, what would you do? Well, I would expect that you'd go after it. And so that's the holy discontent. You don't want to sit around in your thumbs and miss such an opportunity. Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but that's, that's exciting. I'm going to read it again because for whatever reason, we get familiar with scriptures and we just sort of zone out when they're read. It's like, oh, I know that one. I want you to act like you don't know this one. 
Okay, I want you to freshly approach it because when you freshly approach, approach Scripture, instead of approaching it with your uh, barnacles already in place, it lives. You, put your name in there. I mean, that's you. You will seek me and find me. I mean, just right there. That's an amazing statement. Because many of us have this concern that everyone else could seek him and find him, but if we do it, I don't know if that's good for me. God, God is not capricious. Have you guys ever heard me say that? God is not capricious, which means we used to have something when I was in junior high. We'd stick our hand out like this to act like we're going to uh, shake someone's hand, and then when they reach out for it, we'd pull back, and then we'd do this cool move through our hair. It's like, and we'd say, psych. Okay, it's really embarrassing now to, to look back on it. But that's how a lot of us think God is, that he's like, hey, 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 come on, shake my hand. And then we're like, oh, you want to shake my hand? And we come up, all gullible, and we stick out our hand, and he, psych. God does not psych us. He is not capricious. He doesn't randomly change on us. He is not seeking to joke with us. If he sticks out his hand and you see his hand outstretched, you know it's good. He has given you his hand. He's given you his hand in fellowship and in covenant. If you reach out, you will have it. You will seek me and find me. Now there's a condition here I have to acknowledge when you search for me with all your heart. You see, God is desiring you to catch the vision. It's like, are you all in? You can't be part in on this, guys. If you really want to find the living God, you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to give your all to this. I will be found by you. Wouldn't that be an amazing refrigerator quote right there? I will be found by you, says the Lord. Isn't that just a great reflection? Because many of us, that's the exact thing the devil's whispering in our ear. You're not going to find him. Oh, yeah, you, you think that you're going to find the living God. No, I, uh, he has already told me. Very personally, he's expressed this to me, that he will be found by me. He told me. told me himself. My God is going to be found by me. And so I want you to stand on that. As a platform, as you go into this semester, I'm speaking to the advanced students, all of you uh, that are listening via podcast, might as well get inspired too and say, yeah, I'm going to stand on it too. I'm not just going to let those Ellerslie advanced students stand on that. I'm going to stand on it too. So the secret to intimacy in marriage and family. So I'm going to change the scripture up to, you're going to see I'm adapting it to fit the marriage and family edition. You will seek them and find them when you search for them with all your heart. They will be found by you. In other words, when you are after a spouse, well, pursue them. Observe them. Study them. You see, when you seek them, you will find them. When you search for them with all your heart, they will be found by you. It's a simple principle. Studying with all your heart. So when you are studying, what you want to be doing is not just academically. How many of us, if we were to think back to our days of schooling, now, I want you to think of your least favorite subject. Uh, and then now I want to ask you, did you study with all your heart? <laughs> you know, but you can just hear a parent. Can't you just hear him saying, honey, if you really want to know math, you need to study it with all your heart. And guess what? You will know math. If you actually put yourself into it, engage, the reason we don't want, some of us just don't want to know math. Because if I know math, then my mom might have me do more classes in math. And so as a result, we don't seek it with all our heart. You know, I, my mom used to always want me to 
turn on the, uh, the grill and to use the barbecue grill. For whatever reason, when I was growing up, I did not want to do that. Okay, so every time she would say it, I'd say, I don't know how to do that. She goes, Eric, I've told you, what, how many times, 10? How many times to start the grill and to grill? And so I don't remember. And I genuinely didn't. I genuinely didn't remember because the moment my mom would teach me, I wasn't interested. And so she would teach me, but I did not want to know it. And so as a result, I didn't learn it. So the next time she would ask me, I didn't remember how to do it. You could only imagine how frustrated my mom was with that <laughs> after 20, 30 times of this. And so when you are fascinated and passionate about something, did you know that you hold on to information at a whole different level? So you take the difference between a barbecue grill for Eric Ludi and sports statistics. I could have told you anything you wanted to know. I could have told you how many yards per carry some obscure running back on some obscure team had. I could tell you almost every number of every player in the NFL. I could tell you what shoe sponsored them. I could tell you height and weight. I could tell you what college they went to. I could tell you how many years they've been in the NFL. Okay, that's weird. I mean, some people would say, oh, that's savant. No, that's interest. Okay, I was passionate about sports, passionate about football, passionate about details. I love statistics, still do. All right, I'm a sucker for them. That's why I have to stay away from them. I love statistics, and so I'm in extremely intrigued by it, and as a result, I hold on to them when, I'm, when I hear them, when I learn them, when I see them. I'll walk by and just see a number, and I'll remember it, right? Because I want to know it. If you start approaching Jesus Christ and the Word of God with passion, with interest, then you're like flypaper. Every little detail around you sticks to it. You want to know it, and as a result, you will know it. So studying with all your heart. This is the grapefruit principle, guys. If I were to hold out a grapefruit here and I say, this is yours, and if I were to say, do you believe that there is juice inside of this? You'd say yes. However little do you know how much is in there. See, many of us, when we look at the Bible, we know there's some juice in there. I mean, we know that if we were to cut it open, we could take out a few scoopfuls of it. Uh, have you ever had one of those cool uh, special spoons with the little... Uh, zigzag cut, uh, what are the, what are the ridges, is that what they're called? The ridges on the end and then you like slice in and get your little scoop out and, and eat it. Oh boy, that's good stuff, right? My dad used to always chop them up with a knife. So he'd chop up and then we'd, he'd serve them. It was a ton of work. Uh, this is before the little spoons uh, came out. And I mean, I used to love grapefruit and I need to have more grapefruit in my life. So I, I see someone with a face that is a grimace out there. Uh, have you... <laughs> Maybe we need to have a special grapefruit. Oh, you know what? Uh, Annie Westy, if she was here, Annie, if you're streaming this, uh, we used to have something called grapefruit soup on our special getaways. So Annie would oftentimes go with us when we go to like California or whatever, and she'd make grapefruit soup, which would be like we'd go and buy all these California grapefruits, whole bag, right? And then every single one of them, you would, you would take out all the little, what do you call the little pieces of grapefruit? Sections? Okay, it's a very unromantic term for it, but yes. <laughs> the sections of grapefruit, and then squeeze out all the juice, and it was this huge, like, tub of <laughs> Kelsey, Kelsey is not interested in this. And so it was like this huge tub. Then we get a huge bowl of it, and it had, like, all the sections floating around with juice in there, and you'd eat it like soup. Oh, oh, that sounds good right now. Wow, that sounds good. So... <laughs> 
maybe the grapefruit principle isn't intriguing some of you, but I am thinking that before the end of this semester, we should have some grapefruit soup. Uh, that, that could be really good. And Kelsey could fast that day. Uh, <laughs> however, have you ever, it's, it's a, it's a marvel, it's a miracle at a certain level that you could eat your grapefruit and someone could say there's still juice in there. You go, what? I just ate all the sections out. There's still more in there. Are you serious? No way. And then you, they teach you how to squeeze. They teach you how to squeeze that grapefruit and it's amazing, but it starts gushing out when you start squeezing it. So you squeeze it once and then you set it down and you go, wow, that's amazing. There's more in there. What do you mean there's more in there? I just ate all the sections and I squeezed it. There's more. See, some of you know this. I don't know if Kelsey ever found this out. But if you squeeze it again, what comes out? More. In fact, a shocking amount more. And then you set it down and you go, whew, that's amazing. They go, there's more in there. It, it's the grapefruit principle. When you're approaching scripture, you could take one scripture, you could study it. And then someone could say, there's more in there. And you go, no way. Oh, yes. Keep going. You could spend your life on one scripture. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying that that's God's plan for you, <laughs> to spend your life just on one scripture. But a lot of people, like Nathan Johnson, spend their life on one book. He's been in Ephesians for, I mean, far too long, according to many of us. He has the same half of a grapefruit, and he's like squeezing. We're like, Nathan, you need to move on. There's another half to the grapefruit. And yet he keeps finding more stuff in there. How does he do that? Keep squeezing. Study with all your heart. You see, when you pursue him with all your heart, you are going to find him. You're going to find more of him. More and more and more of him. We should, I could have, should have called this message grapefruit soup. That would have been great. <clears throat> so this is, uh, if you are a student, I read this yesterday when I was going through uh, the first message uh, to lay the foundations for uh, intimacy. But affectionate observation and pursuit. Great love for Christ is a result of great observation and pursuit of Jesus Christ and his revealed word. But there are two ways to observe his word. One way is to observe with a critical eye, seeking fault, weakness, and frailty. The God way, however, is to observe with an eye for all that is lovely and lovable. When a Christian studies the King of Kings with a desire to truly know him, understand him, appreciate him, and more effectively serve him, then the Christian will find that intimacy with Christ will find them. So Ephesians 3, now this is a part of a great series of, of passages uh, from Paul in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 is just such a wonderful, uh, it's like the gospel of grace revealed in Ephesians 3. So even to take out a little piece of it, you feel like you're doing a crime. But that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So some of us have spent time trying to figure out the breadth. And then someone could come along and say, but you need to know that there's also length, depth, and height. <laughs> there is such a vast, fathomless uh, expanse before us of knowing our God. And for all of eternity, more and more. So I, I remember this one guy trying to explain it to me. This is when I was young. I was probably late teens, and I was at a Bible study. And with all these men, it was a men's Bible study. And we were out in the parking lot. I remember where we were because it stood out to me so much. And he said, Eric, have you ever noticed that in Scripture you have the living creatures before the throne and they're just crying, holy, 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 forever and always? 
And, and I go, yeah. And he goes, what do you think of that? And I goes, well, to be honest, it sounds sort of monotonous <laughs> and boring. He goes, okay, I want you to look at it a different way. I want you to imagine that these four living creatures have just seen the holy, holy, holiness of God. Like he has revealed it to them. And so what's their response? Well, I mean, they just cry out, holy, holy, holy. They fall on their faces. They're just worshiping God. They they're just amazed, moved, stirred. And they stand up, they're brushing themselves off, going, wow, giving high fives to each other. And then and Jesus is sitting on his throne and goes, Psst, hey guys. And he goes, Whoo! and reveals a little more holiness. And they're like, whoa, did you see? Oh, wow, holy, holy, holy. And they fall down again. After a few minutes, they get up, brush themselves off, give some high fives, and then Jesus goes, Psst, hey, guys. And they go, what, what, there's more? And he reveals a little more holiness. You see, now that's, whether or not that's how it works, I don't know. But to recognize that there is a bottomless well of glory that God wants to bring us into. Fathomless. And the more you squeeze, the more you get out. It's not like a grapefruit. And a grapefruit, you'd eventually run out. But in God's word, you can squeeze for the rest of eternity, and you're still going to find. Isn't that amazing that every time you squeeze, you're going to find? Wow! Father, we celebrate the way you are. And we want to know you. We want to pursue you. We want to study who you are. Lord, you are good and you are faithful. You are deserving of our life. Lord, may we not just apply this in our walk with you, but may we apply this in our relationship with others. In our future relationship with a spouse or in our current relationship with a spouse, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we be vigorous in seeking to know and to understand and observe. Lord, cultivate this behavior in us, these ingredients for intimacy. And may we thrive in our walk with you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.